Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts. Welcome back into the house. Of mystery, I'm Al Warren. Mr. Eric Shapiro is here to cause trouble. Al, how are you? I, you know, I'm not doing too bad. Oh, good. That's good news. Um, we'll keep it a trouble-free zone. Yeah. Well, you know, so this is uh, another week of uh, all nonfiction this week, and we are ending the week with uh, an author that's been here before, and he's got another book out, and it's called Oliver Stone's film flam let's bring him on so mr fred litwin how are you doing good how are you great to be here well, well things are fine uh, listen so fred i have to say um you've done a few other books before on jfk and that sort of uh and and the murder of jfk and and stuff and i know you take heat at times because you uh are probably a little too rational in these days um, well, that's just, right. that's kind of my opinion, right? I just think that I, I even had, uh, um, someone contact me that has a, a website and the whole thing and wanted to, uh, take up, uh, 
an argument about me having you on <laughs> and 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 it was kind of like well yeah okay whatever um that's just what i do you know it's just, but it was strange strange so you you do cause a lot of waves in that community for some reason oh i definitely do why go to a third book now this one is obviously aimed more at oliver stone and his film you know he did the jfk and then he did the update of it in 2021 i believe uh destiny betrayal why go a step further now it seems like you're going you're you're digging right in because he's kind of like uh an idol to a lot of these conspiratorial people yeah this book really wasn't planned it was it was uh i guess we can blame this on covid uh you know over all the many lockdowns i had uh i had a lot of time to do research and all of a sudden oliver stone was coming out with his new documentary series jfk destiny betrayed and so I was very interested in watching it, got to see it, and realized that there was a lot of there were a lot of things in this documentary series that I could debunk. And I decided, you know, every day I decided to debunk a single thing on my blog. And after a while, I had debunked so many things that people started wondering, you know, are you going to put this in a book? And it sort of dawned on me, you know what, this might make a really good book. I've got so much material. And and then I started more writing more in, with 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 thinking about a book and uh, and then all of a sudden it just it was it was there. Uh, I want to be clear on what we're talking about. Were there two follow-ups to the feature JFK? Because there was JFK Revisited, which I saw. Yes, yeah, uh, that was a standalone yeah. documentary. But was there also Destiny Betrayed? Is a miniseries? It's a four-part miniseries. So here's what happened: was that that James DiEugenio, who is a Conspiracy theorists really sort of talked Oliver Stone into doing a new documentary series on the JFK assassination. And so they went and they filmed this, and I think initially, I think it was like three episodes. And uh, to make a long story short, they really couldn't sell it. Uh, nobody wanted to buy it. Uh, it, was, it was turned down by Netflix. So they thought that if they sort of redid it into a two-hour documentary, so there's, there's two versions of the same documentary. There's JFK Revisited, which is two hours long, and there's JFK Destiny Betrayed, which is the same film, but into four one-hour parts, so a four-hour series. Got it. With okay. some more material. Yeah, he's been, um, he's been housed now with the Putin interviews, with these JFK pieces. He's at Showtime generally in recent times, right? Also uh, Untold History of the United States. Yeah, well, he, they wanted to sell the, this to, obviously, Netflix and National Geographic, and the fact-checkers from uh, those organizations turned them down. And so they were forced to go to Cannes in France to sort of market um, the documentary series, and ultimately Showtime picked up the two-hour version JFK revisited um, to show on their network. And I, I imagine what we're talking about here involves essentially the hinge of the assessment is I have to imagine his sources, to say the least, in your point of view, are questionable. Like he's he's mining from the, the wrong well. Is that is that what you're saying? Definitely mining from the wrong well. I think that, that Oliver Stone, in a sense, has allowed himself to be hoodwinked by James Diogenio, who is the screenwriter, into accepting a variety of propositions about the JFK assassination that are quite easily debunked. And so what you have here is, a, well, I tend to look at the four-hour version, the longer version, as a series of interviews and propositions that um, just don't stand up to that much scrutiny. Okay, so we're now in November 
we will be 60 years away from the assassination. So I imagine whether it's you or a conspiracy theorist or Oliver Stone or whomever, you're, you're digging into info that's decades old. I would, I, I guess, uh, I think our listeners would be curious as to why your info is better than theirs. Like what, where are you looking and where is the muscle in your debunking? Well, that's a very good question. And I think there actually is a couple of common elements um, in what I'm doing in my, in my book. The first thing is the, the documentary series really tries to dig into material from the Assassination Records Review Board. This was the board that was set up um, after Oliver Stone's film, JFK, to sort of go in and declassify as many JFK records as possible. So they were in existence for four years, and millions of pages of, of documents were declassified by the ARRB. And so what this documentary series tries to say is a lot of new material has come out from the ARRB, and this new material debunks, debunks basically this new material supports a conspiracy. So that's what the documentary is saying, and what, what I think the biggest thing in my book and the biggest thing that is missed in the documentary series is the uh, frailty of human memory. So a lot of witnesses that are in the documentary series are 35-year-old witness statements or, or statements from witnesses 35 years after the fact that seem seemingly to support conspiracy, but you have to take into account that human memory is frail and that 35-year-old human memories are even more frail and that poor human memory can sometimes account for people saying or not saying certain things. And so my book, over and over again in my book, I talk about the issue of memory, which is completely ignored in this documentary series. So, um, in other words, to, to put a different frame on what you just explained, are we um, understanding that in his documentary and his series, Oliver Stone is depending a great deal on first-person subjective accounts? Is that accurate? Like, a lot of what he's presenting comes from that source. There's a lot of that, and I'll give you just a good example of, of the issue of memory. So one of the segments in the documentary series revolves around JFK's brain and the photographs of JFK's brain that are in the National Archives. So in 1997 or 1998, the ARB interviewed John Stringer, who was the photographer at the autopsy. If you read his deposition, it's around 200 pages long, but if you read it and it's online, the one thing you will see is he continually does not remember things. So he doesn't remember what kind of film he used. He doesn't remember if there are identification tags on JFK. He doesn't remember meeting with the HSCA, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, back in 1978. Over and over and over again, he says, I don't remember. But yet in JFK, Destiny Betrayed, um, they use him as a tool to prove that he didn't take the autopsy photographs because basically he didn't remember taking them. I see. So there's a good deal of things like that. Yeah, and this, this, this comes up over and over and over again. And so, you know, anybody reading his deposition would say, man, this man has memory problems, and he's quite open about his memory problems. So how could I really um, accept that, you know, when he's shown the photographs of the brain, he's not sure um, if, if, if he took them or not. Well, okay, that's not real evidence that he didn't take the pictures. Um, what are some baseline 
underlying elements of your case that stand apart from Oliver Stone's case? Like, for example, do you believe Oswald acted alone? Like, can you give us some of the foundational precepts? Yeah, so I, I believe that Lee Harvey Oswald fired three shots and killed JFK and that there was no conspiracy. And, and uh, although I do believe, I should tell you, that there was a cover-up. There were several cover-ups, not of a conspiracy, but cover-ups covering up people's asses. So the FBI did some covering up, and the CIA did some covering up, and so did the Secret Service. And I believe all that covering up made it look like there perhaps was a conspiracy. Do you, and I'm asking this journalist to journalist, because I, I do a lot of journalism, and I'm always having to check my own bias and audit my own presumptions. Did you always believe Oswald acted alone, or was that, was that something you grappled with or changed course on throughout your life? Where, where have you historically been with that? So, yeah, I, I, I used to believe in conspiracy, and in fact, I wrote my first book was I was a teenage JFK conspiracy freak. So when I was 18, I saw the Zapruder film on the Geraldo Rivera show, started digging into it, and I certainly believed there was a conspiracy, largely on my belief that the single bullet theory couldn't be true. That's the theory that one bullet wounded Kennedy and Connolly um, and emerged relatively unscathed. Um, I changed my position in around 1991 after I read um, a large part of the House Select Committee on Assassinations um, their volumes of evidence. That sort of helped change my mind. And can you walk us through why the single bullet theory, like why you came around on it? Because I know not only in the uh, follow-up documentaries, but also in the original famous feature with Kevin Costner, that's a huge, huge part of what Stone uses to cast out. Yeah, so, you know, I, I always, I had grown up with trajectory diagrams drawn by Robert Groden and other conspiracy people uh, in various books. And Back in 1991, uh, the House Select Committee volumes were available on CD-ROM. And so I bought the CD-ROM. I was living in England at the time. And, and I get the CD-ROM, and I put it in, and I start looking at it. And up pops some trajectory diagrams drawn by NASA for the HSCA, and it blew my mind. Because it showed, when doing proper trajectory diagrams, that it perfectly works with the sixth-floor window. They were aligned, it per worked, the angles work, everything works perfectly. And I was actually shocked. I had never seen such a diagram before. And I realized that this is quite unfair, that the conspiracy books never present that diagram or those diagrams. Um, and so I, I thought, okay, the angles work. And then when you really start to understand that, that the bullet that emerged from Kennedy's throat starts to tumble, and that it didn't hit the wrist, and it didn't hit Kennedy's uh, rib head-on, but it was either sideways or slightly backwards, you begin to understand why the only fragments from that single bullet were lead that was extruded from the core. And so the, the, the actual, the, the, the bullet itself is actually quite consistent. It's, it's, its condition is consistent with the single bullet theory. Is there, and I don't know if we're venturing into forensic unknowns, uh, by going here, but in addition to these NASA-grade diagrams and additional uh, pieces of formatting that clarify what was possible, are there also, is there also evidence of other incidents of bullets behaving like that bullet did? Well, yes, if you actually go into uh, Discover, uh, Discover, uh, Discovery Channel, I guess, which uh, was a, an American channel, they did a number of, of uh, 
documentaries on the JFK assassination. They did one where they did a, a very, very in-depth recreation of the single bullet theory using gelatin and, uh, and um, stand-in for bones firing from the same distance uh, like the Texas School Book Depository. And the bullet that emerged in that reconstruction was very, very similar to, uh, to CE-399. What always makes me curious about this sort of debate, um, particularly when it comes to Oliver Stone, and I know you're classifying him as a conspira conspiracy theorist along with other authors and thinkers on the topic. In your opinion, are they in good faith? Like, do they believe what they're saying in general? or uh, And you feel that their thinking is just muddy or off? Or do you think there's uh, they're sort of feasting on uh, the excitement of conspiratorial thinking and they've sort of, they're just playing fast and loose and they've just abandoned the truth? Well, I think for Oliver Stone, I think he believes it because I don't think he really, again, I think that here he has allowed himself to be hoodwinked. So he didn't write the script for JFK Destiny Betrayed. It's not his research. He's presenting somebody else's research. And so um, I don't think he really understands exactly what he's presenting or, or understanding the, the underlying uh, documentary evidence for what he's presenting. So I think he believes it. I don't think he's being dishonest here, um, but I don't think he actually understands exactly what's being presented. Do you think, and this comes up a lot with Oliver Stone, it's an interesting thing, because what he has is uh, fame, although to a lesser degree than he did before. He also has access to people like Putin and other heads of state that he's interviewed. Uh, but what he doesn't, what, what he's commonly accused of not having is sort of journalistic muscle, like the experience of a journalist, to think like a journalist. Are you of that line of thinking that that's a deficiency of his, that he's more of a dramatist, so he's not, when he looks at evidence, he doesn't have the right faculties to assess it? Yeah, you know, I think if you bring him a conspiracy theory on the JFK assassination, he tends to sort of believe it. Um, there was that author who wrote this sort of very, very big book, The Oliver Stone Experience. Yeah. Uh, it's like 500 pages. And if you go in the back of the book, right at the end, there's a story of somebody contacting Oliver Stone saying, oh, I was one of the gunmen. And there's a whole page. It's, it just seems an incredibly ridiculous story. But Oliver Stone accepts it and, and thinks, yeah, it's, this, is, this is correct. And so I think that he just doesn't have, is not really interested in actually doing in-depth research to determine whether something is right or, or not. He's sort of very accepting of conspiracy stories. And sort of tied up in his, uh, perhaps, what has happened to his rep reputation as the result of uh, the original, which I know he, I know he said that's been something of a cross to bear, or his name, Oliver Stone, has become a cross to bear. So maybe there's a, an inclination on his part to, you know, to, to remain steadfast. And if there's any scrap of evidence that can firm up his position over time, then he, he might be inclined to you know, return and say, look, I was right all along. Is that is that what you're reading? Exactly. I mean, I think that he, he thinks that he's been vindicated by this new documentary series, and I think he was wounded by all the criticisms of his first movie, JFK. And so this is his chance to get back and say, hey, I was right all along, right all, all along, and in fact, it's worse than I even thought. All of the evidence has been planted and fake and phony, um, so yeah, this is this is his vindication. So when you're putting this sort of content out in your books and your blog, you're obviously interacting with a lot of different readers, an array of different minds on this. Like, what sort of feedback are you getting? Do you feel that when you put this out there, it becomes a lightning rod for more debate, and you just 
you end up hearing the chatter of differing perspectives? Or do you feel that when push comes to shove and you level with people and just soberly present the information that it's sort of undeniable? And, and if, if, if only this information could reach enough people, then, then they'll see what you're saying. Yeah, it's a good, it's a very good question. I think that what, what really saddens me is when I post all of my material every day on Facebook and what I get is a continual stream of insults from people who don't really even want to read what I'm writing, um, but reject it outright um, without offering um, any sort of rebuttal uh, based on the evidence. So look, like, like anybody, I'm, I make mistakes, I'm human, so you know, if you might find a mistake in what, I've, in what I've written, or you might find a document that I've missed, but um, I, I don't find any sort of coherent and consistent argumentation against what I've wrote when I'm writing. What is the profile of the type of individual that comes to you and assaults you? You know, it's, 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 there's just a lot of conspiracy theorists out there who are so wedded into their position and I, you know, when I, when I keep on asking them, as I said, look, you know, you could still believe in conspiracy, but but this point may not be accurate. You you can, you don't have, you can give up on some of your points. Uh, not everything is uh, evidence of a conspiracy, and and I, I think what disappoints me most is what I try to show in my post is not so much that I'm right, but that the logic behind the allegation. Is, is is wanting is not really quite is not good at all and that people should be aware of this i think a giant hinge also when it comes to stone's material on jfk particularly the original drama is there's a huge libertarian streak running through the 1991 film where it essentially is an anti-government uh statement so are you finding in are you you finding that as a core hinge that some people are just going to be so angry at and suspicious of and paranoid about the government that any case like the one you're making where you're like, look, there were cover-ups, but they weren't of the nature that a lot of people have been led to think. Um, is that anti-government bias just so steeped in certain people that it's just hard to overcome that? Yeah, I think there's a big anti-CIA bias. A lot of it is on the CIA. Okay. And, and it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm not admitting there was huge violations of human rights by the CIA in the past with MKUltra and their assassination plots. I'm not going to sit here as somebody who whitewashes the CIA. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're very actively I – mean, I get actually I get involved of, of accused of being working for the CIA almost every week. Wow. How, um, how much do they pay you? Because they pay me about <laughs> – Well, you know, my standard line is you wouldn't believe that the amount of the checks I get. <laughs> right. What, what are the three biggest things that you think – J it, JFK gets wrong, like in the in the film or the even the newer version. Well, I think you know I'll, I'll give you some examples. And, and in the newest documentary series, they they make the allegation that there was an assassination plot against JFK in Chicago and Tampa, and that in both cities there was a patsy, somebody who was going to be arrested and blamed for the assassination if it had succeeded in those cities. Now, I really didn't know much about what happened in Chicago and Tampa, so I had to go out and do some research. And what I found in both cases was there was absolutely no evidence of a plot in either city. Zero. No evidence at all. And in fact, in Chicago, uh, well, the, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations looked into both and could not find evidence of a plot in either city. And so 
it all fell apart once I really started to look at this. And I was actually quite amazed um, at the fact that the documentary series fell for some really silly, silly, ridiculous thinking. Where do they get their information where it's they feel it's credible enough to actually air it in a in a movie well the 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 chicago I mean, the allegation of, the, of a plot in chicago comes from abraham bolden who is a secret service agent one of the first black secret service agents who was eventually fired for fraud and brought to trial and convicted he was the one who came up with the allegations of a conspiracy of, of a plot in chicago but there's absolutely no corroborating evidence of that plot uh, there's no documents, there's no witnesses, nobody backs them up, there's absolutely nothing. And when I went to the documentary record, I found five different instances of where he talks about the so-called plot. And in every instance, he changes the story. And so I just had to, con to, to sort of conclude, well, you know, there's really nothing to, to support his, his allegation. But people want to believe it, and so it's out there. You know, so that's that's one. And of course, in Tampa, what I really found interesting in Tampa was the the discussion of the so-called Patsy, who would be arrested in case Tampa succeeded. And so the Patsy in Tampa was supposed to be this this Cuban man, Gilberto Policarpo Lopez. And what made him suspicious was on the weekend of the assassination, he had driven or he had been driven from Tampa to, he went to Mexico through Laredo, Texas, and he crossed into Mexico that weekend, and he ultimately flew five days later to Havana aboard a Cubana Airlines flight. He was the only passenger on the flight, and Mexican intelligence thought this was somewhat suspicious. So it sounds like a very, very interesting case. What really happened here? Well, when I investigated it, what really happened here was Gilberto Policarpo Lopez was a young man. His mother was American, so in the early 1960s, he emigrated to Florida. He got married. He didn't speak English. He couldn't get a decent job, so he worked in construction. And then he became sick, and he had epilepsy. And he was hospitalized in Miami for a significant amount of time. And he came out. His marriage fell apart. He had no job. And he decided that, you know what, I need to go back to Cuba because my family will take care of me because I have nothing here. And he went back to Cuba, and the reason he was the only passenger on that Cubana Airlines flight to Havana was because he managed to get on a cargo flight to Cuba. And so I realized there's nothing to this story. It's actually the story of a young man who was sick, who needed help. It's so interesting uh, hearing you talk about this. Uh... Because it brings to mind that there are so many differing qualities of mind out there and differing priorities in terms of cognition and points of emphasis of how people navigate reality. And I'm just curious, I also know, I am noticing you're very placid and very uh, clear in your communication. Uh, I'm wondering what you feel the healthiest approach is when you're trying to persuade somebody of something. Well, you know, what I really try hard in my blog post um, is to present all the documents and links to all the documents so people can read them for themselves. And in fact, for this book, I posted online um, a 60-page document of all of my sources, most of which actually were containing over 600 links to documents that are online. 
So people can check my sources directly. Um, I want it out there, and that's why every book I write has a fair amount of documents in it. Do you run into the line of thinking where people are like, okay, that's great, there's 600 links and there's X amount of sources, but but who are these sources? Like where it hits a cul-de-sac and, you know, there's just like, despite the thoroughness on your end, certain people are just like, even if they bother to look, they're like, well, who are these people that are saying this? Yeah, and I think, well, you know, and that's why I think that you can see the quality of the sources for yourself and make your own determination. Um, that's all I can do is, is uh, try my best to show that there is some documentary evidence to back up what I'm saying. Um, but I'll give you, let me give you another example of where the documentary series really went off base. And it's with the allegation that the chain of custody of CE399, the single bullet, is faulty. In the documentary, they make the claim that the initials of an FBI agent, Elmer Todd, who supposedly etched his initials on that after he got it, they make the claim that his initials are not there. And it's a very, very big claim, based, and they base that upon a researcher who went to the National Archives and who looked at pictures of CE399. So one of my friends wanted to debunk this. I was working with one of my friends, and he said, I think I, if I look at the pictures, I think I could find the initials of Elmer Todd. And I told my friend, look, before you do this analysis, back in 2016, the National Archives, in association with the National Institute of Science and Technology, published ultra-high-res pictures of CE399. I said, you have to check those photographs. Now, the problem with those photographs is that you need half a terabyte of hard, of hard disk space to download them, and you have to stitch them all together. Um, it was beyond my computer capability to do this. So I hired a consultant who was able to download all of these pictures, stitch them all together in, on a hard drive, and he sent the hard drive to my friend in Texas, my friend Steve Rowe, and it then took a whole day of explanation and finding the right viewer to actually look at these photographs, and lo and behold, Steve found the initials. They're there. And the question I really ask in my book is, why did the producers of JFK Destiny Betrayed, why did they not go to the archives? Why did they not download the ultra-high resolution pictures and make their own determination? Brad, what, is, um, what do you find, especially over the course of uh, so many years of doing books and blog posts and articles, what is keeping you motivated to stay on the on the case like this? Well, I, I think it's 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 a it's it's fun to to battle um, all of the conspiracy factoids out there. Um, I think it keeps me it keeps me going in that in that there's so much to debunk and there's so much material online to use to be able to show people that this is wrong. And so it's sort of become a bit of a a mission to try and uh, debunk some of this some of this nonsense. Is this the only area the JFK assassination in which you you've actively debunked things? Um, yeah, I think yes, it's the only area that I really debunk because uh, because I used to believe in conspiracy in the case that that um, it's it's the only thing I'm really interested in debunking. I don't debunk 9/11 theories because I was never a 9/11 truther, so I don't really have that much of an interest in that, but. 
The JFK assassination really does fascinate me. And your your knowledge load has accumulated so much over time that when you first saw Revisited and then uh, Destiny Betrayed, you were just able automatically in the moment to pick out lots of things that you felt were wrong, that were like, okay, this is clearly off, just because you had already been there so much. It was also it was also the fact that a lot of material I didn't I wasn't familiar with, and uh, what shocked me um, was when I just a cursory. Um, read some cursory research into some of the material, debunks it really, really quickly. Let me give you one example. In the documentary series, they present a forensic pathologist um, who they claim was concerned about the appearance of the brain in the photographs that were taken, that the, that the brain in the photographs is too gray, um, for it to be, which, which indicates that maybe it was another brain. It was, the brain was substituted and, and the color of the brain is not right. Well, I had never heard this allegation before, and so I actually went, very easily found on the internet, the, that forensic pathologist, Robert Kirshner, did a report for the ARB, and I read his report, and in his report he says, well, if they used a higher concentration of formaldehyde, the brain would look gray. And so I felt, my God, what's, what's more likely, that the conspirators switched out JFK's brain, or that the doctors perhaps used a higher concentration of formaldehyde when preserving it. Which is more likely? Reversing the whole schematic and the whole equation, are there any elements of all the different conspiracy theories out there about the assassination that you find compelling or hard to answer? Not really. I think they're all, everything can be answered. I think that the biggest, I have to say there are some unanswered questions. And the unanswered questions and the files that I'm really interested in seeing are not held in Washington, but are held in Moscow, in Minsk, in Mexico City, and in Havana. Those are the cities that hold documents on the JFK assassination that I really would like to see, because they will have evidence, I believe, certainly in Moscow, of perhaps KGB operations to convince the American people that the CIA was behind the assassination. Uh, some misinformation campaigns and so forth. That's right. We know some of their campaigns, uh, but there might be more, and those documents are very, very secret. Uh, do you think Oliver Stone is talented? Well, yeah. He's he, look. He, he is a terrific filmmaker who knows exactly um, how to how to really keep suspense going. But he he understands if you hire really good cinematographers and you hire good editors and you hire good music people, that he could assemble something which is visually compelling. And that's what he's done here. He, he's, he's taken the best talents. He's taken Whoopi Goldberg and Donald Sutherland as narrators, good voices, and he's melded it all together into something which, on its surface, is extremely compelling. That's his strength. Do you find, in terms of since you've taken such a deep dive as far as JFK goes, as you've looked at his other works, like, uh, just to name an example, I have no horse in this race, but uh, World Trade Center or... Um, like, uh, where else? Like, the stuff he's done in Vietnam, areas where he's been historical or, or fact-based. Do you find that there's a factual issue across his work and within his sensibility, or is it more germane to the JFK assassination? I think I think if I took a deeper dive into some of the other films, like Nixon, there was probably some issues. I think some of the, the early stuff that Oliver Stone did, like Platoon, Born on the 4th of July are pretty good films. I, I used to be a big Oliver Stone fan. I used to love 
some of his stuff. I think he, I think he really went off the deep end with the JFK assassination. Yeah, and I also, when he was, you know, less active in documentaries, which is more the later part of his career, and he was more active in in dramas. Um, I think the, I, I think a lot of the claims that got lobbed at him during that period might have been less stable or fair because. Particularly with Nixon, and I can't go point by point through Nixon on a factual basis, but I know he got he got slammed a lot for the fact that it was done in a very exaggerated style. And um, I remember reading Nixon's autobiography and then watching Stone's film again and feeling that they tracked very closely. I was like, wow, and this this is an account straight from Richard Nixon that is very close to what Oliver Stone did, which was accused of being so wild. So I, I think that was the mainframe stone criticism, which I felt was unfair for years because it's like, okay, he's enhancing and making things crazy by, you know, uh, mashing together film stocks and doing really gonzo um, uh, aesthetics. Um, but then that's now turned into ever since he started uh, interviewing heads of state, he's been more accused of throwing softballs. But I know that amid it all, the JFK assassination is the area where people like yourself really are like, no, this is just all wrong. Yeah, I think also when he when he made JFK, I think his the main goal that he had was he wanted to talk about Vietnam. And so he made JFK, he wanted to talk about Vietnam. And I think what really surprised Oliver Stone was that nobody wanted to talk about Vietnam after he made it. They wanted to talk about the minutiae of the assassination. And he found himself in this strange position of defending all this, you know, the single bullet theory and the body and the autopsy and the doctors and Jack Ruby. And he had to defend all the minutiae and nobody wanted to talk about Vietnam. And I think that surprised him and I think that disappointed him um, because he didn't really want to do that. Right, right. So it was maybe, uh, maybe in your opinion, more than he could handle. Like he, he suddenly was uh, boxing above his weight. Yeah, and I think, I think also that when he, when he, Wanted, when he made the film World Trade Center, which I have not seen, but I think there again, I think that he, he, I think he really wanted to talk about the Iraq War, but I think he realized that if he made a conspiracy film to expose what led up to the Iraq War, again he would be involved in the minutia. Right. So I think he decided to play it a little more straight. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. I mean, that is the film. It's very much about bravery and character, and it's actually um, been sandblasted of anything political. I mean. Um... Yeah, and at that time he was following Alexander, so he didn't he didn't have any bandwidth for hot water. He needed a successful movie. Um, right, right. Interesting. So, just as general precepts, just to help people navigate this thoughtfully, the the entire scenario. If I'm understanding you correctly across the various things you've said, one major liability of his approach is that he's too reliant on subjective sources. Is that accurate? He's relying on subjective sources, and but where he, he goes into you know some documentary evidence, I think that there he 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 doesn't realize certainly Oliver Stone doesn't realize that there is firm documentary evidence to oppose some of the things that he's saying. For instance, um, he makes the allegation that that uh, General Curtis LeMay um, diverted he, on the on the on the day of the assassination, LeMay was in Canada on holiday hunting. And so he had to come back to Washington, and the documentary series presents him as a sort of a villain, saying that, you know, he was ordered to go into Andrews Air Force Base with his plane. He disobeyed orders to go to National Airport, and the reason he went to National Airport was he wanted to be closer to Bethesda so he could attend the autopsy and gloat over the body of Kennedy. Well, as I document, as I prove in my book, 
It's just not true. He was not ordered to go to, to Andrews Air Force Base. In fact, he was ordered not to go to Andrews Air Force Base. The only people going to Andrews to meet the plane were McNamara, Robert Kennedy, um, and Maxwell Taylor. They purposely did not want a crowd at uh, Andrews. So he was ordered not to go to Andrews. He went to National like he was ordered. And in fact, National Airport is actually almost equidistant to Bethesda as Andrews Air Force Base. And in fact, there's no documentary evidence that he attended the autopsy. So, you know, there, there, and I, I, when you, when you, I think you'll be, you'll be, you'll, you'll shake your head when you read my book and you see the documentary evidence I used to debunk this allegation. And you feel, uh, I know this goes without saying, but I just want to make this clear. You're citing a great deal, a heavy load of omission of documentary evidence where it's available, but it's either not being looked at or it's being swept under the rug. Is there any alternative body of evidence or form of evidence or, or mode of approach that uh, conspiracy theorists tend to lean on? As a, as a contrary uh, bed of material, or does it just not exist? You know, again, they they rely on an incomplete, they they rely on incomplete documentation to support their case, and that when you have an uh, have a serious look, and some of these issues I really knew nothing about until I saw it in the documentary series and started researching it, and so an honest investigation of some of these issues would lead you to say, well, hold it, there's something else. They're not really telling you the full story. And I think that's the the other problem with the documentary. It's like, okay, you're present, you're telling me one side, and you're not even admitting to the viewing public that there is contrary contrary evidence out there that you just won't even address. Do you feel? And I know uh, Al, Al is going to roll his eyes because we, we we yeah, this is uh, this is where things get dicey. Is there a partisan component to where people break on this? I know this is a unique one. Like, do people that uh, it's a strange one because Stone is on the left. So do people that tend to get irate uh, when presented with your info are they leftists? Like who are we? Who are we talking about? Or does it not, it not break that way? Unlike every single other thing out there, it, it used to break that way. It's changed. So it used to be that 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 leftists were the conspiracy people because the CIA and the FBI were the big boogeyman, and they had they wanted to prove a conspiracy of the right. Over the last several years, I think the right has caught on and said, hey, that's too much fun. We can now use the JFK assassination to prove that the deep state right. is responsible for it, and the deep state is malignant, and therefore you have Roger Stone and Donald Trump and now Tucker Carlson and a whole variety of other people on the right using the JFK assassination to make assertions about the deep state. It's sort of the same trajectory that vaccines have taken. Because it used to be a left-wing thing, so to be a little, be suspicious of this stuff, and it's drifted. Are, are we talking? I don't want to generalize, but in terms of the uh, the anti-debunkers or the pro-conspiracy people around this subject, are we talking more or less about QAnon people? Some of them are QAnon, but no, no. I think that's a very, very small part of it. But but uh, you just you just talked about the anti-vaxxers, and and there is that sort of element of some of the anti-vaxxers are part of this crowd. You know, I mean. Robert RFK Jr. is in the documentary series uh, talking up conspiracy about RF, but the RFK and JFK assassinations, and he's you know, an ardent anti-vaxxer, as are a few of the other people in the documentary series. Interesting. Okay. So as, okay, am I correct? Because I did see the documentary, and I thought it was very compelling. I thought it was fantastic. 
And I'm not arguing that still at this moment. But so you're saying that what we're seeing when we watch that, whether it's the long version or the shorter version, what we're seeing is a lot of first person accounts, a lot of a lot of uh, memory that is contestable and a lot of uh, reversion to documentation that is not thorough. That, that is like looking at that's cherry picking certain aspects of documentation, but leaving out the big picture. Is that is that an accurate uh, summation? Yeah, that's very accurate. That 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 you're, you're hearing a, a very very slanted, one sided approach to some of the allegations that really don't stand up to scrutiny once you look at um, all the evidence. What would you say if Stone was on? for two minutes like what what would be your your starting point i i would ask him to keep an open mind and read my book and have a look at what i've come up with and that he should not just rely upon conspiracy authors to tell him what to think that to, to calm down for a couple of minutes and just read my book see some of this evidence and see whether he should perhaps rethink a few of the things in his documentary series. Interesting. I also am curious, because it crossed my mind while we were talking, uh, his Snowden feature is an interesting case, too, because uh, one of the big criticisms that got thrown at that film was, was one of the things we keep touching on, which is that he is relying on Edward Snowden's account. Like, it's one point of view that can't be countered because it comes from a well of really secretive occurrences and information. So as thorough as he was, and I know he took like nine trips to Russia to interview Snowden over and over again, so there's an exactitude and a thoroughness and a clarity to Oliver Stone that is magnificent, but on the other hand, he's, he's putting all his chips on one source in that case. Do you, do you have an opinion about how he handled that one? I don't really. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a big fan of, of Snowden because I don't really, I, I don't like people who, who um, put out information, top secret information, without thinking of the implications um, to innocent people who might be affected, um, so I don't. But that's all I have. I don't really have much else on on, on Snowden. Got it. Yeah, it's an interesting case insofar as uh, that's a very fascinating blind spot when you venture into one person's perspective. Or in the case of JFK, he's pulling a lot of perspectives, and it creates the illusion, perhaps, that you're getting something very um, penetrating that goes to the core. But if you if you soberly uh, take a look at the lay of the land, you, as you have, can come up with a whole different picture. Yeah, and the, I guess the other thing that also interests me about his documentary series was, in the movie GFK, it was all about Jim Garrison. Right. But in this documentary series, Jim Garrison is only mentioned once. And so I felt this is kind of strange. I mean, you know, you really based your first movie about him, and all of a sudden, he's sort of the name that shall not be mentioned. Right. That perhaps maybe even Oliver Stone realizes that Jim Garrison is somewhat toxic. Right. And he got hit a lot also in the wake of, because um, I remember watching him on Charlie Rose years after JFK, the original one, uh, and Stone was very defensive on a number of points, but when push came to shove, Rose got him to admit that Garrison was, was a shaky template to turn into sort of an Atticus Finch figure by way of Costner, because that, that was a romanticization, to say the least. Yeah, and, and this documentary series, they make a very big point about, um, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't have a trial, and, and so we don't know what would have happened at a trial. And then they casually mention that Clay Shaw was, was, was indicted for conspiracy to kill Kennedy, and they don't mention that he actually did have a trial, and that he was acquitted. Right, yeah, which was the thrust of the, the, the movie, the, the drama. Uh, yeah, and so what a, you know, the fact he doesn't even mention that is quite, is quite a 
quite shocking. Right, where he's um, he's leveraging or he's weighting his case onto the side of like the fact that there was a trial and it was the only time that the matter was brought to trial, or at least it was the first time. And that's that's where he punctuates the scenario. Yeah, I, I think I think though that that Oliver Stone, unfortunately, I'm, I am hoping that one day he realizes the, the harm that he has done to Clay Shaw's reputation, that, and that and that he's just completely wrong about Clay Shaw, who was a really good man, an honest man who brought a lot of a lot to New Orleans and doesn't deserve this slander of being involved in the JFK assassination. Well, I've got I've got uh, Oliver Stone on the line here. Yes. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's been listening. Yeah, the whole he's time. been listening the whole time. No, he fell asleep. Well, that, that <laughs> Clay, well, and Clay Shaw. Well, you know, he was a homosexual, and of course, in the sixties, that wasn't good. And Jim Garrison hated him for it. And I mm. don't feel much love for gay people in the original film either. Of all their, all their right, yeah, that was a whole element of the fallout. Yeah, yeah, yeah and in fact, in, in my in my new book, I, I, you know, when when the film was coming, when JFK was coming out, um, the gay and lesbian action against uh, um, defamation were worried about the film and the fact that it was homophobic, and so they met with Oliver Stone, and he said, "Don't judge this movie until you've actually seen it." So they went to see the movie, and they wrote a letter to the editor of the L.A. Times saying, it's worse than we thought. <laughs> yeah, I remember he had quite a dubious uh, defense. Like, he thought it was um, good that Clay Shaw and Pesci and their, their crowd were made to look, you know, like, tough. So he thought, like, yeah, yeah I did a good job. Like, like, the whole thing was cross-eyed. Like, um, uh, but it was like, you know, yeah, like Al said, there was a disturbing tone to the way they were depicted. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones actually was interviewed in a film magazine, and he said that he had met with Garrison three or four times, who instructed him on how to play Clay Shaw, and he instructed him, you know, you, you have to play somebody, he's a fascist. Oh, wow. You have to yeah. play him as this, this, this fraud and this fascist. Right. And, and, wow, you know, my God, Oliver Stone is channeling... Jim Garrison's view of Clay Shaw. This is so unfair. Well, and the timing in the '60s, right? You know, Hedda Hopper and the whole, you know, the whole concept that she had was homosexuals were fascists. Fascists were. It's just one and the same. There is no. Yeah. You could not be one without the other. Um, so there was a lot of attitude like that, automatic. Yeah, you can feel it also in the way Stone is doing it. He tried to uh, repent for it later with Alexander, which is a whole other conversation. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a very oddball uh, statement, but um, yeah, you can absolutely, I think, undeniably feel his homophobia. I mean, there's a contemptuous attitude. It's almost like, like you know, in the 80s with Schwarzenegger movies, um, the villains, the head villain was often implied to be gay, and it's like JFK is like a uh, Oscar, Oscar movie version of that same sensibility with the villains. <laughs> yeah, and Oliver Stone sometimes tries to uh, say, well, how could I not? The, these guys were all gay, so how could I not include that in the in the film? Right. But of course, yeah, they were all gay, but none of them had anything to do with anything with anything but the assassination. They were all right. really innocent. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and all he laid it on thick too. I remember the scene with Kevin Bacon in jail, and then Bacon starts uh, like openly flirting to the point of harassing Costner, and it's, yeah, it's uh, it's it's ugly stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you know those gays. <laughs> yep. Well, you can't you can't keep spurring uh, laughing. Yep. Such a system. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what I am. Well, so how, how do people um, find you now, Fred? And the book is out everywhere. Do you have a website? What's your blog? Um, where do you like to get your hate mail at? So um, you could you could just go to my website. It's on thetrailofdelusion.com. So all one word, on thetrailofdelusion.com, and you can just click on my blog, and there's over 600 blog posts that cover this movie and almost any uh, other part of the Garrison investigation and other parts of the JFK assassination. And uh, there's links there to buy my books, which are on Amazon and all other uh, um, uh, online retailers. Well, fantastic. Of course, we'll have that up on our website as well to help people get to your site, and we appreciate it. Um, of course, your new book, Oliver Stone's Film Flam, The Demagogue of Dealey Plasla. Um, thanks, Fred Letwin. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.